We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Welcome to the show. I'm Peter Herger, your host for today. Want to dig into Genesis chapter 3, start from the beginning, where this whole singularity idea begins. But before I do, I want to open in a word of prayer. God, I ask you to open my eyes, open my mouth, and open my heart, God, to the greatness, the grandeur of who you are and your word. Just ask you to release that power into listeners today, that your spirit would be um, poured forth in this hour, God, light and heat and love and grace and mercy, your glory, your grandeur, God. Stand forth from your word today. I need your anointing. I need you. I need you to show up in this show, Jesus. I ask you to infuse me with your power, and I just want to get out of your way of the of the, the things that you have in your heart, the things that you want to say. I, I want to join you there uh, with you in agreement and and speak your love and glory and and uh, truth and wisdom, God, your wisdom, make your wisdom known, God, even even today through your word. Uh, we serve a wise God. He, he, he fashioned the universe in ways that we, we are only beginning to start to understand. And, I, and I, frankly, I don't understand any of it. So I'm not the science guy. But his wisdom is demonstrated in the depth of quantum, the smallest the particles of this and that and how it all binds together to the grandest, you know, galaxies in the universe. His wisdom is layered from the big all the way to the small. The, the, there's a breadth and a width and a depth um, to the wisdom of God that is dis displayed all around us. And that wisdom plays out in, in, in a myriad of ways. And one of the ways that his wisdom is demonstrated is through his plan for uh, his glory and his people. Um, the wisdom in which he weaves together a narrative over the history of history to say, I am God, I am that I am, right? He's like, I am that God, I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm that one that would spoke to Moses in the burning bush. I am that God that struck the giant in the forehead for David. I am that God who raised Jesus from the dead. He stands apart from this universe and he weaves together human history and the stories we tell and the lives that we live. They all weave together to tell this miraculous story of who this man on the throne is, Jesus Christ the Savior, the King. He weaves history together, and, and we see it through the Bible, and it's amazing, and we want to be a part of it, and we're asking God to release it. And sure enough, he actually 
answers those prayers. Those prayers that we really prayed back in the day about God's spirit being poured out. And I still, I still pray today that God has an answer to that prayer. And that answer is coming in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But this revival, this mighty revival will happen simultaneously to the earth uh, the fallen ones of this earth joining together with their master in um, what you could describe as total unity. Um, Paul describes this. He says, hey, don't let anybody trick you. Don't, don't be deceived. The day of Jesus' return, the day of our gathering together with him will not happen unless the rebellion happens first. He says this, this, he uses this term, the rebellion. What is this rebellion that Paul has in his mind? There's, there's this act at the end of time where human, fallen human beings join together in a rebellion against God under the leadership of Satan. Sounds crazy, right? I mean, <laughs> that's not a happy thought, right? But it's, the part of the narrative that the Lord God of the universe is weaving together for our good and for his glory. And we need to begin, begin to come to terms with this God, the God of revelation, the God of Matthew 24. Who is this God? He's almost more frightening than the Old Testament God. But it's the same one, the same, uh, I, that was a joke, I said that tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> just to be clear on this podcast, the same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. There's no difference. That's a, a, a topic for another day, but I just want to make sure I set the record straight. But my point is this. That if we don't come to terms with the God who says, hey, this is my plan this is my wisdom, this is for your good, this is for my glory, and I'm going to pour out my spirit in huge ways, then if we don't come to terms with that God, we're probably going to get offended with that God, right? Um, we have to understand the heart and the mind that dreamed up and executed and did this dramatic movie-like performance on the Isle of Patmos. I mean, John is there. He is in prison. He's like, what, what was, what are you, God, you brought me out here. I got like two dudes I can witness to. That's it. And I'm sure he's doing a good job. He probably won both of those guys. But he sees a vision in the night. God says, you know, John, I, I brought you out here to evangelize those guys. Yeah, but I got something else for you too watch just watch this john's out there the sky opens up he has this cr amazing crazy awesome uh holy fearful experience and he sees it all play out in front of him and he's describing what he's seeing so john is watching the drama of unfold in the sky and he's simply writing down under the power of the holy spirit the things that he saw and we have this book that tells the story of this thing this guy saw in the sky 
but wrote it down under the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking to us today about many of the realities we are facing. And that's what we need to come to terms with. Like, hey, this is, this is the same God, you know, we, you know, we wrote our books, we, you know, we, we preached our sermons, we, we, did, we did what we were supposed to do, all good. But there's another level, and, and God's saying, it's time, church, to come up to the next level. And, and there's a lot of people who aren't going to like that and aren't going to agree to that, but there's going to be some people who are and who do. And that's who I'm speaking to right now. That's, that's who I'm praying my audience is that's hearing my voice right now, or those who are ready to go, you know what? <laughs> I don't even belong to me. Uh, I was purchased with the blood of Jesus. I'm not my own anymore. I'm somebody else's. I belong to somebody else. My children, my wife, my job, my everything belongs to someone else, right? And so, like, like I, I can't. I don't know how my life turned out the way it did. It boggles the mind. I, like, it's beyond me how I got where I am now. It's it doesn't make sense, but to say God put it together. Many there's a lot a lot of you out there who maybe were on the brink of death, you know, um, maybe addicted to drugs and lost and and thought there was no hope. And Jesus reached out to you in your moment of greatest need and despair, and you were changed, and you knew in that moment that you belonged to God, and you never lost that sense. The problem is, is when we start thinking we belong to ourselves and the stuff that we have belongs to us. That's where we get lost in the whole thing. And that if, you can, if you can just say, you know what, Jesus is the best thing in my life. And that's the one thing I want to devote my life to seeking all of my days. I, it's just there's nothing better than to seek Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. That's who I am. And, and I, he, he leads me. He speaks to me. He takes care of me. He sees to all of my needs. There were those who came up to the edge of the promised land, 10 out of the 12. He's, they send 12 spies out. You know, Moses sends them out. says, all right, you guys, you got 12 of you. Go get them, right? They, they run out. They spy out the land. Oh, man, this land is, wow, this is great. Look at these guys who are living in this land, right? They see this whole scenario play out. 12 of them come back. Out of the 12, two of them actually want to go in. Everyone else is like, uh, yeah, no, the land is great, but uh, you should see the dudes living there, right? And so, like, we're not, we're, we're dead, we're goners, it's just not going to work. But there was two out of the ten who said, nah, man, the land is perfect, this is exactly what God promised, let's go. Oh, those dudes who are in there, who cares about them? God can take them out, he just, he would just blow the wind hard one day and blow those dudes away. Like, who cares about who's in there? God, if God brought us here, he can bring us in. And, the, and those two out of the 10 were the ones who were the leaders of the people of God. And so that's the, that's, those are the, the, the ears that I'm hoping to reach today. Those uh, Caleb's and uh, Joshua. Yeah, I forgot the main guy, Joshua. My goodness. Joshua and Caleb's today who are like, no, you know what? God not just, he didn't just bring me here. He didn't just deliver me out of all my sin. Didn't just deliver out of me out of sure death in his great mercy speaks to me, leads me, cleanses me with his blood and, and fills me with the power of his spirit, which is life itself. 
And that's what we're all after. We're all after life. That's what, at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want life. And there's only one place to find it. It's in Jesus. That's it. And there's only one to, way to get there. Obedience and love and faith, you know, that there, there's, that's how you get there. And you just don't ever get there, get there until you get there. So every day since, we're just plugging away, going hard. So that's what I'm trying to do today in the show. I think I went down uh, about 22 different bunny trails there. However, I do want to move into Genesis chapter 3, where it all kind of begins, right? Um, we're all familiar with the story, but... When we're familiar with stories, sometimes we can gloss over them and not pay attention. So I don't want to do that here. I want to pay attention. I want to hear what the Spirit's saying. And then, uh, you know, I've got a direction that I want to go. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see how this thing pans out. Maybe we'll save that for another day. Who knows? Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 3. I'll give you a minute. Uh, most of you guys are probably in your car, so you don't have a Bible. That's all right. So I'll go ahead and read. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So God creates the most amazing planet for biological species to live on perfect in every conceivable way, in ways that we can't even conceive now because we live in the fall. He makes the perfect place for, for creatures, biological creatures to live, for perfect place fitted for mankind, the crown of his achievement, the crown of his creation, I should say. And it says that there was a serpent also there. It says that the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field. So this serpent was smart and deceptive and had an agenda and had a indirect way of achieving his agenda who was very smart and very good at getting what he wanted indirectly, came up to Eve and questions her. He says, Did God really say that you can't eat of any of the trees in the garden? Because that seems senseless, right? Why would, why would God... They're so, so this, the serpent 
betrays some sort of naivete or some sort of kind of vulnerability about this whole issue of the tree that he's been watching and wondering what's the best way to get what he's after. And he decides, I'll get what I'm after with this question. Did God really say that you can't eat any of the trees? So Eve wanting to straighten him out, like, no, 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 you got it wrong. You got it wrong. We can eat from any of the trees in the garden, but God said that you will not eat the fruit that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the serpent says to Eve, Oh, what did God tell you? That you would die if you ate from that fruit? No, no, you wouldn't die. Uh-uh. Not today. You wouldn't die tomorrow. But give it a few years. Give it a few decades. And you will die. But you won't die today. So he says, no, you won't die. Satan turns and says, not only will you not die, but God knows, he knows that when you eat from that fruit, you're going to be wise and your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God. He says, if you eat from that fruit, you won't die. In fact... You'll become wise. You'll become like God. You'll know good and evil. There's an element of unknown wisdom or unexperienced cognition that Satan is pointing to. He's saying, oh, right now you live in a limited, narrow mind, and if you eat from this fruit, your mind will be opened in ways you cannot even imagine. You'll even know good and evil. You'll be just like God. You'll have the cognition of God if you eat this fruit. We can surmise from this particular story that Satan has an agenda, right? But he doesn't go about his agenda directly. He's going about it indirectly. So the question is, is what is he going about? What does he have in his heart? What is he, what is he trying to accomplish? And the answer is, you know, well, partly we know that he, he wanted Adam and Eve to eat from the fruit. They we, that he wanted them to sin against God, that, that he wanted sin to enter the creation. And I'm not even sure how aware of his effect would be. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure, how, you know, that's, you, you can, that's, it's hard to know. So we know he wanted them to eat the fruit. We know that he wanted them to sin, but did he have something greater in mind? I think he did. I think he knew that, once sin entered, somehow he had calculated or understood understood spiritually that if sin entered the garden, that entered the earth, if Adam and Eve came into agreement with the serpent 
I think he understood that he would then be calling the shots over the human race. He would be able to manipulate the human race in darkness and that he would be this kind of prince of the power of the air, this lord of darkness that, that comes from the, from the pit and, and gets into people's lives in various ways and twists them to do all sorts of evil, insane things to destroy and kill, just like, that's just, just, just like Satan himself is. When the serpent comes along and says, you know, hey, why don't you eat that fruit? The serpent has, in his ultimate objective, ruling over Adam and calling the shots. And sure enough, human beings, being who we are, what, 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 what they went and looked, the woman saw the tree, it was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. They went and they looked. They're like, wait, what is, let's go take another look at that tree in the middle of the garden, right? So it's Adam and Eve going, yeah, God said we shouldn't, but the, the serpent said we'd be wise. Let's go check it out. They come over there. It's Adam and Eve. They're both together, right? And Eve goes and, and checks out one of the pieces of fruit. And however it happens, it says that she saw that it was good for food, that you could actually eat it, because you know, at first they're probably like, can we even eat this? What if it's poison we just die on the spot? Maybe this is just like a, you know, <laughs> just some sort of death berry, you know? But the, she's, I don't, who knows how, you know? She figured it out. You could eat it, number one. That it was a beautiful piece of fruit. Like, you look at it, and you're like, man, this is really beautiful, right? It was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was de the tree was desired to make one wise. I, how did she know that? Is it from the serpent? Is it maybe the serpent told her and then she knew? But she knew that if she ate, she would have another level of cognition. There'd be another level of thinking going on in her brain. Another level of awareness and uh, computation. I mean, I'm I'm using I'm using kind of computer verbiage and kind of scientific verbiage to describe the, the spiritual realities of these things that inside our minds, our spirits um, are alive and bright, but our spirits are operating through a biological... Um, it's us, it's all together. It's, it's, not, it's not two things, it's one thing, but we're operating in unity, in total unity with a biological housing in which our spirits operate. How does it work? I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't know how like old calculators worked. I'm the wrong guy to ask how these things work. I don't know. But they work, and they work amazingly, right? I mean, our capacities to do uh, things, it's, it's amazing. Well, Adam and Eve are there looking at the fruit. It's beautiful. They can tell they can eat it. Well, they're like, well, it's there to make, give me another level of cognition, a level, another level of wisdom, another level of uh, perspective, however you want to use those words. I'm using cognition in kind of a broad way, right? Our ability to think. And if our ability to think is limited, we have limited intelligence. But if our ability to think is broadened so that we can see things from wider perspectives, we can have more wisdom because God has this all-knowing cognition that he alone enjoys at all times and glory to, to his name forever for his great mercies on us. 
he has unlimited cognitional power. That this is this is the th- this is the thing. It's part of being God. It's who he is. It's and so Adam and Eve are limited in their ability to think. And and they eat they eat this fruit together. Together they eat it. And the eyes of both of them were open. So all of a sudden, boom, they can see things differently now. They understand things differently. They're thinking through things differently now. Their whole level of cognition has opened up to them. And the first thing they noticed is, hey, we're naked. Look at that. Why are we naked? We need to fix this. (laughs) <laughs> which it, if I was walking around naked, I'd, I'd probably think the same thing. Right. Um, and, and thankfully so, you know, I like people in clothes. I they yeah. But anyway, um, they, yeah, they see, they see they're naked and they sew fig leaves together and they make themselves clothes. Right. It's the first thing that kind of comes to them. Oh man, so uh, I don't know how far I want to get into this right now. I'm not sure how long this thing is. Um, so anyway, um, well, let's just keep going with the story here. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard a sound of you in the garden, and uh, I was afraid because uh, we, I found out I was naked. So I hid myself. Well, Adam, who told you you were naked? <laughs> Great question. Just who told you that? <laughs> By the way, BT Dubs, who uh, who told you you were naked, bud? <laughs> Did you eat from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, uh, she, oh, this is terrible. You can tell sin has already taken grip here, right? It's like first thing, like throw, throw the next guy under the bus, even if it's your own wife, right? Like, hey, yeah, that wife you gave me, you made her. Yeah, she made me eat the fruit. <laughs> that's ridiculous. But they, that's all of us, right? I'm, I'm owning that right there. I'm owning that. God, thank you for saving me and help me to be like you. How about that? The Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you've done? And the woman said, the servant deceived me. And I ate. Well, at least she's honest about it. At least she's not trying to like, you know, she's like, you know what? The serpent got me. You know, it was a bad idea, but the serpent got me, right? So then God turns to the serpent. And this is where his wrath comes in, because you've done this, you are cursed. Above all livestock, he, this is his enemy. He hates this thing, right? God hates this thing. And we all need to hate this thing the way God hates this thing. He says, because you've done this, you're cursed. You're, you're going to slide about on your belly as the lowest of the animals. You're going to eat dirt all the days of your life, and I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Wow, he shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. My goodness, you know what? This is, I, you know, call me dull. I'm fine with that. But this is the first time I'm seeing this connection between Revelation three fifteen and um, Revelation twelve. You know, in Revelation twelve, you've got the the woman, the the woman, and bearing the child, and um, and the and the and the the, the dragon standing 
waiting to destroy the child, and the child ascending into heaven. That's so great. Like this massive seven-headed dragon would do anything to kill this little little baby. And whoop, nope, sorry, buddy, he's up where he belongs, and now you're gonna pay. But before you do, you get a chance to uh, you know wreak havoc on the earth. So that's uh, Revelation 12, kind of in a nutshell. This dragon and this woman, right? And between the offspring and the the dragon wanting to d- destroy the offspring, and then even destroying the woman, this this enmity from Revelation three fifteen, continuing through and escalating and culminating in Revelation twelve. This very enmity. In uh, Genesis 3.15, I put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. I'm, I'm just getting that now, and so I'm just kind of internally digesting the glory of uh, those two connections. It's just amazing to me. Um, so then I, I don't necessarily want to get into the, the just the consequences of all this and everything. But just to see, like, okay, so we've got this dynamic between this woman and the serpent, you know, in in, in Genesis 3.15 that becomes this woman and drag, seven-headed dragon in the heavens. So we have um, the serpent and this woman and the, the her offspring. And this enmity that begins in Revel, uh, Genesis 3.15. And it's a relationship of deception and um, and uh, tragedy and uh, uh, struggle and war um, that goes all the way through human history, all the way to the all the way to the end. And so, When we begin to understand the serpent, the nature of the serpent, which is to get what he wants, but indirectly, because he has to go this, the God has to use his craftiness, his intelligence. It's funny when the Bible describes Satan in a couple of places. He says that you know, and where the first time he's described, it says that the, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts in the field. He was more crafty. He was more intelligent. There's a there's some sense of Satan being a very smart being that I think we don't take into account. The reality is that Lucifer, I'm not like a, I'm not like a big demonologist, so I don't know all the ins and outs of the origin of Satan and Lucifer and everything, but I, I do, he's some sort of heavenly being who is apparently pretty powerful, but also, on top of that, he is, I want to use the word super intelligent. He's so much smarter than humans that he can talk us into just about anything if he's allowed to, and we don't have any protection from God, right? I mean, we're pretty much helpless against this enemy of ours who's so far beyond us that we can't even really conce- we can't even really conceive it. But this the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field. But then the nature of craftiness is wise. 
and intelligent. And then again, we see him in Revelation chapter 12 as a seven-headed dragon. Okay, this thing that Satan is, that John's watching, is depicted as a huge, nasty, seven-headed dragon. Okay, so like, like a nasty dragon is probably intense enough, right? Even if you just had one head, you know, and put a few horns on there. I mean, if you're just going for intensity, or you go with a, you know, you go with a hundred-headed dragon, you know what I mean? But for some reason, it's a seven-headed dragon, right? And this is Satan. This isn't some empire. This isn't the Romans and the and the Babylonians and the and the Grecians. It's this is Satan. This isn't the, the earthly manifestation that we see in Revelation 13, which you could argue is like, well, that's an empire, or that's a guy, or a series of guys, or whatever. But the dragon is the dragon. He's not, nobody thinks that that, the dragon, they say, no, that's Satan. Well, what's up with the seven heads? Why does, why does the dragon, why does Satan have seven heads? Does he have literally seven heads? Maybe. I mean, there's, there's some creatures and things going on in heaven that we have no clue about. And how that those seven heads play out in whatever, but the reality is there's seven independent but networked intelligence centers, whatever you want to call a brain, whatever you want to call a head. But it, when you talk about a head, you're talking about intelligence. You're talking about where the thinking happens, where the being happens. I mean, I don't want to say being, but most of the cognition happens, right? Well, he's got seven of these wired together. And the... Just one of them's probably pretty smart. So you put seven of them together, and they're working in conjunction, learning from each other, and they formulate one being. It's probably a very, very intelligent being. So my point is that Satan is really smart. He's really smart. And when he tries to get humans to do stuff, he uses his intelligence to do it. And so, you know what, I'm I'm not going to press to try to insert stuff about the tech singularity and about knowledge. I'm going to let you guys draw a lot of those conclusions yourselves because I don't want to force the text into, into saying anything. I just want to say what the text is saying as best I can. And then let's just be praying for interpretation and understanding it in light of today. What is what are we looking at today when we look across the landscape? Well, we're looking at technology getting freakish. I don't know what the other word is to use for technology and what it can do, but I think freakish is probably an understatement. I'll just go with that. So our technology is not only freakish right now, it is accelerating at freaky fast accelerations that we don't understand. So that means we are on a roller coaster ride where it only gets faster and the loops only get tighter, right? From here on in, it gets really, really intense, okay? And so the question becomes what are we going to do with this? And why, why is this happening? And why are humans why are humans moving this direction? And why is it like, oh yeah, technology and knowledge is is the 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 way to become like God? Because if you really break down Satan's strategic plan, 
is to lure humans in with the promise of intelligence. That intelligence is the pathway to become like God. And with it, there's nothing that's impossible, right? Because you, you can become like God. Well, the problem is, there's lots of problems. But the main problem is that you have to do it without relationship with God. And that's the one thing I need to be about. Loving God, relating with God. If somebody promised me a ticket to become like God, but he said, you know what, but you got to turn your back on God. I wouldn't want to do it. I wouldn't want to do it. I've, I've come, I've, Jesus is it for me. I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. I don't have any plan B. There is no plan B. And I want to tell other people about it because I know he's, I know he's real. I know he's real. And I know his word's true. And so I have no choice. I have no choice. The choice has been removed from me. But it's joyful. It is joyful. It is joyful. It is good. But there is that serpent who is putting that fruit out in front of everyone saying, Hey guys, you want to be like God? You need intelligence. Eat this fruit, right? And so here we are as a society again, tempted with this idea that we can use our technology, we can use whatever to become more, become super intelligent. Ultimately, this is the idea. I'm not just talking about being smart, reading books, and um, studying this and studying that, and knowing the word. I mean, goodness gracious, study the word of God, know the word of God, and expand your mind in in ways. Learn about God's glorious creation. Learn about mathematics. Learn about all the great things that God has done. I mean, I'm all for learning. Go for it. But when somebody wants to plug a microchip into your brain and tells you it's a good idea, hmm, nah, that's not learning. That's not expanding. That's not progressing. That's imprisonment. And people need to understand that. This isn't a joke. This thing's going to go down in a bad, bad way for anyone who plugs into this thing. But we have a Savior who has the power of His Spirit through which He accomplishes His will and His glory and His people's joy. He has ultimate power to accomplish everything that He has in His heart and in His mind. So we have this Decision before us as a civilization, a decision much like the decision that faced Adam and Eve. A decision to eat of the fruit, to become like God, to enjoy superhuman cognition. Or to trust God. Like the Bible calls us to. There's going to be a lot of confusion along the way, a lot of voices saying this and that. You need to be digging into your Bible, reading your Bible, praying, worshiping God, all the things that the Bible commands. We need to be about the life of God and just 
devoting ourselves to it, our time, our money, our energy, everything that we have, just give it to this, this one thing, to know Jesus, to know this God who gave his son so that you could be saved. I want those who have not made this decision to follow Jesus, I want to ask you, what are you doing? What are you waiting for? You think like you're going to have some experience that's like going to go, oh, yeah, there we go. I almost died. Okay, yeah, now I suppose. Or you're going to get, you know, you can see your death coming and you're like, oh, I'm going to die. Jesus, now's a good time. I mean, God, God saves some people like that, but uh, I wouldn't count on that one. That's not the scenario to count on, okay? What are you doing? What are you waiting for? Oh, I'm just going to what? Have sex, whatever it is, or you're going to do drugs or whatever it is, or you're going to do the chase money or chase nothing or do whatever it is that you do, and it's all empty for no reason. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's yourself. Uh, maybe it's your sense of, of, of your self-righteousness. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's wrong. You need to wake up. Turn to Jesus now. You can turn to Jesus with your heart. That is within your power to do that. You can take your heart and say, God, God, I'm coming. I'm here. I'm now. It's yours. That's not something you do once. That's something you do once or every day for the rest of your life. You continually bring that heart before him. Continually draw it before him. You say, God, it's pretty easy, actually. You just kind of come to terms with what you are, which is a, just a dirty sinner. And it's actually a relief when you actually come like, oh, God, I'm so evil. God, have mercy on my sin. Have mercy on me. I want to see you. I want to love you. Forgive me. Wash me. Forgive me. And I commit my life to live fully for you. There's a commitment factor where you, in your heart, you say, God, I commit to follow you. I commit, God, the rest of my days, my money, everything I am, every breath I have, every thought I think belongs to you, God. There's a commitment to that. And God washes you from your sin. God fills you with his spirit. Now walk in the word of God. Walk in the word of God. I just ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, any listeners to this podcast, that uh, you would draw them by your spirit and save those who need saving and encourage those who need, to, need encouragement and those who need to wake up. God, I just ask you to wake them up with the power of your spirit. So that's what I'm going to close this episode on and uh, wish all of you guys a uh, happy till next time. God bless you. God's Spirit, fill you and empower you and give you peace in Jesus Christ, we pray. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. 
I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.